Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Welcome back to the podcast, Richard. It's good to see you. Always good to see you, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) We've been pretty book heavy the past few podcasts, so now we're we're just going to talk about some leadership principles and some that, uh, Richard, you you laid out uh, in your uh, book that you wrote with your father, Henry, Spiritual Leadership, that we've we've talked about in previous episodes. Before we get into that, I just want to remind people, uh, we will be doing another leadership book review. As a reminder, the, the book we're reading through now is called Execution, uh, The Discipline of Getting Things Done. If you haven't already started, grab your copy and uh, be reading along with us as we are going to unpack that in a few weeks. Make sure you can execute the reading of that book by the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. You're so clever, Richard. <laughs> uh, getting back to leadership and, and what you sort of made popular is the subtitle, of the book Spiritual Leadership, which is moving people onto God's agenda. Can you unpack that for us a little bit more today? Yeah, Sam, there's two things about that definition of our book that are key. One is uh, the idea of God's agenda. If you don't know what God's agenda is, you can't move people there. So you have to know the heart and mind of God. Uh, But the the first part of that definition is moving people. And uh, that is one of the great challenges of leadership. If, if there's one thing that frustrates leaders is that they know where their people should go. Maybe, they, you know, if you're a parent, they know what their teenager ought to become like as a responsible, mature adult. Or a pastor knows what their church should become as far as being mission-minded and evangelistic and caring. And so a leader can say, or maybe you're, you own a company and you, you know that you want your staff to be customer service friendly and uh, outward focused and optimistic and hardworking and creative. And so the leader knows where the people should be going, but getting them there is always the crux of the issue. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. If you could just tell us, how do you do that? Like, how do you, right? Well, and so I'm glad you're trick. listening in today so you can get all the answers. <laughs> Moving people from where they are, that's, I'm guessing, why a large number of leaders leave their jobs why a lot of pastors quit their church is because they resign themselves to the fact, I cannot move these people. I can't change them. I can't get them to do things differently. This church is over 100 years old. They've always done it this way, and they don't want to change. How do you move people from where they are, where they're stuck, to where they've got to get to? And I see this with dying churches. You see churches that have been in decline for 20 years, and all the projections are they will have to close their doors in the next five years if they don't change. But there are pastors who cannot change the downward uh, decline. They, the people don't like how things are, but they're not willing to move to where they need to be. So how does a leader motivate people? If, if you're the new pastor and you've come into a handful of people that are discouraged and declining, or you've come into a company that is underperforming and not making profits, or you've got some children that you're trying to lead in uh, to get to a healthy place in their life and in maybe their education. How do you come in and make a difference and move them from where they are to where they ought to be? A couple maybe just issues to begin with. One is 
when it comes to leadership, I think a lot of that has, well, in our book, Spiritual Leadership, we, we identify two primary ways that you influence people. One is by who you are, your character, issues of integrity, honesty, encouragement. Who you are has a great impact on people, but also what you do, hmm. how you relate to others. And that's what we'll probably focus on today. That, that does speak into people skills. And I would just say this, Sam, one of the important issues that we'll circle back to a number of times. I've often been asked, can you teach a person leadership skills? Can you teach people to lead? And I feel like you can. I spend a lot of time trying to help teach people to lead. The one qualifier I would have in that is I'm not sure if you can teach people people skills very well. Now, Daniel Goleman and his whole series of books on emotional intelligence offers hope that you can. And I think if you really, truly are teachable Mm -hmm. and you're willing to examine what you're doing with brutal honesty and humility, I think you can develop better people skills. But people skills are a lot more difficult to learn than leadership skills. If If you're naturally good with people, it's not that hard for me to teach you how to lead better. If you don't get people, if you keep stepping on people's toes uh, and, and you don't realize what you're doing, you, you offend people, you under-motivate them, and you don't get it, you're not picking up that that's what's happening, then it's very difficult to teach you to lead. I, I'll give you a classic example in history. Winston Churchill's mother was a socialite. Somehow I knew Winston uh, Churchill. I, I, I did work in Churchill again, didn't I? Uh, she had an interesting thing, though. She dined and socialized with a lot of the prime ministers and even the kings of her day. And uh, she said she'd had dinner with Gladstone, who was prime minister a number of times, and also Disraeli, who was also a prime minister. They were of different parties. But they sort of went back and forth as prime minister in England for a number of years. And she would have dinner where she was sitting next to these prime ministers over the years. And she had an interesting observation. She said, when I sat next to Gladstone, I came away impressed with how much he knew. She said, when I sat next to Disraeli, I came away impressed with how much I knew. Now, that was the difference in people skills. Gladstone would just talk on and on about his opinions and what he thought and what he was accomplishing, and everybody was to be impressed with him. But Disraeli had this way of just bringing out the best in other people. He would ask questions. He would ask Mrs. Churchill about her life and what she thought. And when you left his presence, you were delighted with how much you actually knew yourself. That's people skills. And some people have them, some don't. And so when I look at leaders who inspire people to to move from where they are to where they need to be. I'll just throw out a couple of things I've seen in leaders, both in reading biographies of great leaders, as well as what I've observed and what I've experienced. One of them is courage. People with courage inspire people to change, to move forward. And it takes courage to lead. I've just discovered more and more. We may have a whole podcast just on leadership courage. Well, you know, I think we saw that quite beautifully with the biography of Churchill. Yeah, and now you're bringing Churchill in here. <laughs> exactly, though. Oh, uh, man. And there's a great story of uh, uh, George S. Patton, a, a fiery uh, general in World War II. Uh, at one point, they're advancing in a battle, and he sees some of his officers uh, taking cover from enemy gunfire. 
And Patton comes barreling up and just lambasts his officers and says, what are you hiding for? He said, do you want to give your men the idea that the enemy is dangerous? He said, stand out in the open and, and be fearless, be courageous. Of course, if you get shot to death, that might discourage your, your troops. But uh, Yeah, there's a downside. His whole point, but of course, few, few uh, commanders have ever been as offensive-minded and aggressive in attack as uh, Patton. But part of that was he inspired courage into his men. It was said of Caesar that when they fought the, the German Gauls, and these fierce warriors were intimidating these uh, Roman soldiers, that uh, Caesar would charge to the front of the battle, shouting by, na to, by name to his various centurions, uh, and calling them by name to come forward and bring their men with them, and that the victory was theirs. Uh, George Washington was famous for charging into battle. He was talking about a person that was just destined uh, by fate, it might have seemed, to greatness. He, he would often, at the end of a battle, some, in one particular battle, George Washington had about six bullet holes in his hat. Uh, at least six or so bullets had just passed his head, but not hit him, uh, because he was always at the front of the battle. And he was a big man. He was an easy target, somehow managed to survive. Uh, but if you're going to lead and inspire people, you have to have courage. And, mm. I, yeah. and that means sometimes you have to have courage to decide. I know some leaders that waffle back and forth, and today they're going in this direction, but then they talk to someone, and now they've changed their mind, they're going to go this way. And that demoralizes people. It doesn't mean you don't listen to, to feedback, but at some point, it takes courage to decide. It takes courage to say, well, with the information we have now, we're going to go this way. Let's start moving. And so without courage, it's going to be very difficult to inspire people and move them. Um, a second thing is, is humor. People like to work with people that are fun to work with. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, it seems like almost a, a unusual to say that great leadership involves humor. But you think about an Abraham Lincoln; he was a great storyteller. He he had all kinds of funny stories he would tell, and they, they, he might be in a meeting with his cabinet and dealing with very tense, very discouraging numbers and statistics and realities. And then he'd have a funny story that he would tell, and he would just change the mood. Hmm. It was said of Henry Ford that people liked working with him because he'd be bantering and joking around and, and, uh, and getting his people to laugh while they're designing cars and building the industry. If you want people to want to work with you, make working with you a delight. And that yeah. doesn't mean that you don't roll up your sleeves and work hard and sweat when there's work to be done. It doesn't have to be miserable to work with you. You don't have to be barking out orders and uh, pointing out everything that's wrong the whole time. Uh, it's possible to be a fun person. And uh, today especially, people have choices. Uh, they don't have to just work with any boss. And so if you're a miserable person to work with, then they'll just be looking for someone else to work with. And so if, if people are going to sign up and go with you on a difficult journey, they've got to know that the journey is going to be a pleasant one. Yeah. That, uh, it'll be fun and memorable. And <laughs> I know for me, over the years, I've had people years later say those were some of the best work years they ever had. Uh, and that's what I hope for as a leader, is that people will say, I enjoyed working with you. It was a, life was good in those days uh, because it wasn't just all somber and gloom. It was, this is life. Let's enjoy life together as we go. And a lot of the great leaders had 
good friends. I mean, many of their employees, many of their staff, their direct reports would stay friends for, for life, uh, even after they no longer worked in the same company because they became friends with the people they work with. And I, there are some who think that that's wrong and that clouds your judgment. I think it, it's great if uh, people are loyal to you and friends with you because you bless them and you were you were fun to work with. Well, I think it enhances the workplace as well. Well, for sure. And uh, there's even some uh, studies, scientific studies, that demonstrate that uh, teams and workplaces that have fun actually do better work yeah. than ones that are under stress all the time and pressure to meet performance requirements and standards well, and goals. Well, I think that, that also ties into the people skills and the not being too much of a type A personality because it can easy, easily just focus on, well, we've got A, B, and C, we've got to get done, so let's just you know, why are we laughing? Like, yeah, get back to work. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and a lot of times, you know, in some industries, there's a lot of, there's deadlines, there's production quotas they've got to meet. And, uh, and, and so we're consumed with the pressure. We've only got uh, three more days to get all this work done. And so cracking the whip, I, I found even with myself and I'll have real stressful moments uh, as well, but uh, to, to just mentally say, but I and my employees will never have this day again. Mm. And so it, we don't need to write this day off as just a day of misery because we had a deadline. Let's still enjoy today. Let's get the most out of today. Even if it involves a lot of work, we'll never have this day again. So let's let's make it a, a great day nonetheless. Yeah. Another one just to maybe mention before the break is optimism. Someone has said uh, that if you're a, sa- a sailor on a ship in a storm, you don't panic as long as the captain seems confident and calm. If the captain is in a panic, <laughs> then the sailors all start yeah. get tightening their life ja- jackets. And so it's really important as a leader that you speak optimistically. And I, I, I come across a lot of leaders who don't, if they would stop and listen to what's coming out of their mouth, they would realize that a lot of what they say is uh, not optimistic. And if I were coaching a leader, I would say, take an audit of what's coming out of your mouth. You can say things like, uh, well, we'll try, or we'll see how it goes, or we'll give it our best shot. But, but, but sometimes we say things as if we're not even sure ourselves that we're going to have success. Yeah. And it's really difficult to follow someone, especially if you're going to have to make a, a great sacrifice. Why would I go out on a limb? Why would I make a huge sacrifice? Why would I work late at night? Uh, if the boss isn't even confident it's going to work out, that it's even going to make a difference. Oftentimes we say things that are so wishy-washy yeah. that people don't respond to that. I, I, I've seen pastors at times, even with things like uh, extending an altar call. They preached a sermon and then it's like, well, uh, we'll sing a song and if, if no one comes uh, after the first verse, we'll close. Well, when you say stuff like that, you've just, said to people, I'm not confident that what I just did is going to have any impact. Hmm. Uh, I, I just learned to say, I know God has spoken to you. I know you're going to want to respond to what God has said. And so as we sing, you begin to come and I'll be here to receive you. Uh, now that's not being pie in the sky. That's saying, I know God's word has an impact and I'm expecting that because of what we've done, there will be results. 
And you need to speak with confidence. And if you have confidence, the people that you're leading will also have confidence. And, and, and I've had people even say, well, I'm not entirely confident in this approach, but, but I am confident in our leader. And our yeah. leader seems confident. And so I'm just going to trust in him and follow him. And uh, that's really what great leaders do. Sometimes yeah. people don't, they can't see that things are going to turn out. But they have confidence if they stick with their leader, things are going to be okay. And so you need to have that kind of optimism as a leader that uh, people see you and get around you. And, and it said this about Churchill and others that there's a number of people like that where I've read in biographies and uh, the biographer said, no one could leave his presence without being a, a better man, without being, uh, having more confidence. Confidence has a way of rubbing off on others. Yeah, And so if you want to take them to hard, difficult places, if you don't have confidence that you can get there, it's very unlikely that you're going to inspire others to go there with you. Twice a year, Black Bee Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. If this sounds like something you're interested in, the next workshop dates are October 24th to 26th and registration is open now. The early bird rate is available until September 30th and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. We'll also leave links in the show notes. Richard, just one last question before we uh, wrap up today. Is it up to the follower to figure out how to follow the leader? Or is it the leader's responsibility to adjust their leadership uh, so that it works for their their followers? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and... I think personally, it's up to the leader to lead. Leaders never blame followers for not following. Leaders say leading that way did not inspire them. I need to lead a different way. Certainly that applies to parenting. You, you parent your first child and have success, but the second child is not responding to that kind of parenting. Well, you don't tell your younger child, well, why can't you be like your brother or your sister? You, as a parent, you, you make the adjustment yeah. until you find what does connect. And the great leaders have always understood that people are motivated differently. By the way, we, we can address that further in another podcast, but uh, there's some debate whether you can motivate people at all. Can I, I, I don't know that I can motivate you to want to work hard. Uh, we can sort of artificially do that sometimes by offering more money. But I think great, incentives and... great leaders typically uh, tap into people's innate motivation. They, they find what does motivate people. And then they do those things. And there's all kinds of great stories. I love the story about Horatio Nelson, who was one of uh, Britain's most famous admirals in the Navy, who, of course, won the great battle of Trafalgar that turned the tide against uh, the French uh, Navy. But at one point, Nelson, and Nelson was, uh, was, had lost an eye, was crippled and lost an arm. And he, I mean, he's, he's all wounded up and, yeah. and battled up from all kinds of conflicts. And one day he's walking the deck and there's a sailor who's been told to go up the mast and uh, get up to the top. And the, the, it's a young recruit and, and, the, and the young man is terrified. He's terrified of heights and he's, he's trembling and of course, the, uh, his commanding officer is shouting at him and cursing him as only a British uh, naval officer can do. Yeah. And, uh, and Nelson walks by, the, the, guy, the guy in charge of the entire fleet. And Nelson looks at that and, and steps in 
And of course, he could have had the young sailor court-martialed. It could have given him a tongue lashing. Instead, Nelson comes up to him, looks up at the mast, and, he's, and he confesses and says, that, that's a pretty intimidating sight when you look up straight up like that. That's, way, that's pretty high. But he said, uh, just, don't, just don't look up, don't look down, just look straight ahead. And he said, uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have you a race. And he says, I'll race you to the top. And so Nelson starts climbing the mast with, with like one hand, one arm, and, uh, and all of his crippled body parts. And the young uh, recruit starts to race the, the, the admiral. And all along the way, as they're climbing the mast, Nelson is shouting encouragement and saying, see, it's not so bad. You're doing great. You're, you're a fine sailor. And they get all the way to the top, and Nelson is uh, telling him, you, you, you've, you've conquered your fear. You never need to worry about this again. You've proven that uh, this isn't any problem for you. And Nelson goes down. Now, when you're in charge of an entire fleet, should you care about one cowardly new recruit who doesn't want to climb a mast? Well, of course, that becomes legendary. And people realized, the, why, would, why did his fleet always win? Why did he always win his battles? Why did he get his ships and sailors to perform all kinds of heroic feats? Well, because he knew how to inspire. He knew how to motivate people. Instead of demoralizing them, browbeating them, he tapped into the fact this young man did want to succeed. He, he did want to do well. Uh, he needed to, to be tapped into his motivation. And, you know, the, the, the real relevant issue today is millennials. Uh, when I talk to managers today, their greatest challenge is how do you motivate a millennial? Uh, they don't motivate the same way. You can't motivate them the same way that you motivated a baby boomer. Millennials, they, they don't care so much just about the top dollar. They care about meaning. Uh, they care about flex time. A lot of times when they're negotiating, it's more about can I work at home? Can I, uh, can I take uh, some days and do mission work or go on special projects? Uh, can I be creative? Can I tap into what I'm passionate about? That drives baby boomers crazy sometimes. It's like, no, here's your job description. Just get your job done. Yeah. Uh, but great leaders realize when you lead different kinds of people, uh, different demographic groups, uh, they require different things. Of course, you're a millennial. and uh, I am. We've done Guilty. Some, <laughs> we've done some creative things with you in terms of uh, letting you, you... This year, you work for a month remotely from Sri Lanka, of all yeah. things. Only a millennial <laughs> would want to work from Sri Lanka for a month. Uh, but with technology and computers and uh, phone lines and so on, uh, it, it, it's possible to do that. Now, a yeah. baby boomer would never have thought of that. They would just say, let me just get the shortest commute home from work. Uh, give me, let me pay me overtime if I'm putting in extra time. Yeah. But, uh, and how soon can I climb up the ranks and enter into management? Uh, millennials are motivated differently. And really, one of the great challenges now, you've got a lot of baby boomers in management who are now leading millennials on their way up. And uh, instead of saying, why can't you just act like a baby boomer? Great leaders are going to have to say, so how do I lead millennials and those younger than millennials? Uh, it's going to take a different kind of leadership. I mm -hmm. can't expect them just to adapt to me. I've got to adapt to them and figure out what will it take to tap into their inherent motivation so that uh, they, they enjoy working with us and they give our, their best work to us. Yeah, and I think that, that comes by, by just asking questions. And, yeah. uh, and being creative. Yeah, communicating with those that you're leading. 
a lot of times millennials will they'll they're first like for instance to say when you when you and your wife first said uh, well we think about working for a month uh, from Sri Lanka the first thought is that's crazy <laughs> uh, and maybe it was but uh, but then you start to Depends think on but, who you is it possible I mean could it be done yeah and a lot of times you realize of course. I mean, it depends, obviously, on work ethic. I trusted both of you to get your job done. I, yeah. I trusted you that you'd be uh, responsible and have integrity uh, and take your work seriously. And knowing that, I certainly can be flexible then and say, well, then, hey, if I can create a work environment that is fun for you and exciting, and maybe I can't pay the most dollars, but I can give you some great flex time and creative ways of getting your job done, then that that attracts younger uh, workers, and so well. And, we, when, and and when you're sitting out on your deck, you know, working away <laughs> and looking at the Indian Ocean, you know, like all kinds of motivation just I'm comes. I'm gonna say that you're pouring that in. That is a whole different way of leading and working <laughs> than um, the baby boomers are used to. But uh, that's what I think makes great organizations ones that are flexible yeah. to say, let's be creative about uh, leading different kinds of people yeah and i think knowing like what is the important thing and for a, a given position what is the things that they need to get done and and then go from there not to right. say well you have to be at this desk at this time well that's not what's important like what's important is the task or right. whatever you know whatever else you deem is important and, you know i and i've always had the attitude exactly this is what i need done now if you can get this done from sri lanka why would I care where you get it done? I just need it done. And if you can get it done in seven hours instead of eight hours, then do I have to be legalistic about you just kind of killing the last hour of your day so you put your full eight hours in? You got the job done. Go home. Yeah. I reward yourself. I want it done with quality. If you're going to cut all kinds of corners and slash uh, your efforts just to do it in less time, I'm not going to be happy with that. Yeah. But, but if you've got quality work done and you finished and you still got an hour to go, well, then you should be rewarded. Go home. It's I don't care. I'm not paying you to put in hours. I'm paying you to get results, to, to get products done. Yeah. And so if you can get it done on the other side of the world, that doesn't matter to me. If, you, if it makes you a happier employee, then, uh, then all the better. Yeah. Well, great. Well, hopefully this has given you some, uh, some things to think about in terms of how you're leading your organizations, your families, um, and your people. And uh, so thanks again for sharing. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.